everyone, and welcome to Scene Partners. <laughs> That's Cody. And that was Chris. <laughs> yep. I thought I would chime in this time. You've gotten to say Scene Partners every time by yourself. Oh, that was, that was so great. Thank you for that. A treasure to unwrap. <laughs> it was so unexpected. <laughs> there you go. Oh, so Cody, what um what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about the perfect show at the perfect time. Ooh. Bum pum pum. So um what was your perfect show at the perfect time? You know, it would be really great if if we entered into this knowing all of the answers. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um you know, thinking about the perfect show at the perfect time, there have been quite a few of them, I, f- I feel like. You know, I-, I like to think for every production that you do, that you learn a little bit more about yourself or about, you know, the world around you. That's not the case all of the time. Yeah. But I think for the most part, you always are learning something. So in a way, they're all the perfect show. Um, but I think for me, whenever I was... I was younger. The very first um, true, I guess, dramatic, uh, more modern play that I had ever done was actually Angels in America, mm. and uh, which is a play by Tony Kushner about the AIDS crisis in 1986. And I, you know, we, we've talked about where we've grown up in our upbringing, and I, I feel like I wasn't sheltered in any way, but we definitely grew up in a community that was not super accepting of different ideas and those kind of things. And growing up with my particular background, um, it it was it was difficult to to think about doing this show. Yeah, um, which is kind of strange to talk about now, just because of where I'm at. But you know, as individuals, we all grow and we change and we learn. I was very young. I I don't even I might have been 20 at the time and uh, 19 or 20. And I'd gone in and I had read for this show and it seemed really cool. I really loved all of the the writing and stuff. And I and I thought the script was really interesting. Um, and I remember getting the part and being terrified. I, I got the I got cast in the role <laughs> of of Prior Walter, which is the the character who actually has a uh, legionnaire's disease and um and he is dying and he's also a drag queen mm. and so it was that was for me it was very difficult to try to figure out like okay am i can i do this show like in the beginning when i was just auditioning for it i remember thinking oh this would be really cool and then i got it and was immediately terrified and i remember <laughs> having a, um i remember having a dream that we were doing the show and this was like the night of, and you know, times were definitely different back then. I mean, gay marriage wasn't even legal yeah, yeah, at yeah. that point. Um, and I remember I was just dr- had a dream that night after being cast, um, that somebody in the audience had shot me <laughs> <laughs> while I was on stage. What? I know. I don't know. And, um, this this is the, probably like super deep to talk about. This is like really heavy way to start the podcast, I guess. But so uh, I I woke up the next day and I was really really afraid um, 
about doing this show that and, and and I called the director. I'm sorry, I said I called. I was way way more chicken. I sent an email uh, to the director <laughs> and said, I don't know if I can do this. I'm I'm kind of panicking about it. I I think I might have to pull myself out of the show. And I can only imagine now being who I am. Uh, getting an email like that, I would have been so angry, right? <laughs> just been like, excuse me, I just spent so long casting. I also just gave you this amazing role. Right. I mean, Pryor is such an amazing role. And I'm very thankful, spoiler alert, I guess, that I did the role. I mean, that it was that I that I stuck it out because it really did change so much about my life. Um, but I remember Richard Gortney was directing that show who was one of the people growing up that um, that I, I probably look looked up to the most in our in our community theater yeah. scene, and um, and he brought brought me into his office and we just had a long conversation about you know performing and what kind of performer I would like to be and um, what my problems were with it and I remembered talking to him about it and I I didn't have any problems with the role yeah but I hadn't actually thought about. I hadn't actually put myself in the place of somebody else who, who you know, was gay and yeah. had to go throughout yeah. their life every day in our community and what they might have been faced with and that sort of adversity. And then all of a sudden, as a straight white man, I was have I was having to come to grips with that, I guess, in a moment. Yeah. And um, you know, we live in a very um, uh, conservative area. Yeah. I would say. Um, where masculinity is very defined. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think, you know, for, for me, it was that was what I was probably overcoming the most, was just being o okay with it, which is really strange to, to... Now it just seems like a completely different person. I, I don't even know who that guy was, in all honesty. It seems so long ago. Um, so I'm, I'm almost... I'm struggling to remember exactly what my problem was. Um, but having that conversation with Richard and him being so generous in that moment to actually sit down and not just <laughs> throw things and be so angry. <laughs> right. Um, um, it, it, it allowed me to feel safe to be able to do the show. And I remember we went in to rehearsals for it and the entire time, everyone in the, in the production just rallied behind the show and supported me through it. Because it was a lot for, I think it was a lot for somebody of that age to, to handle um, a role like that. Yeah. And um, and then you know we we eventually got to a place where we had opened the show, and there are many 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 stories of doing this show. We did it in a um, a black box downtown and uh, a black box theater downtown, and <laughs> there are definitely a lot of funny stories. But my role for the most part was pretty dark, um, and. I remember an intermission we had we had some people that came backstage or we were we were all outside just kind of taking a breather at intermission out the stage door and somebody had come around and, and they hugged every single one of us and they were crying already oh, wow. and it was just after the, the intermission and it was um uh you know they, they had lost they they were alive there in nineteen eighty six and they were, you know, um a lot of their friends had passed away during the AIDS crisis. And, uh, this person was also a drag queen and they were talking to us about their experience and they were just so thankful that we were able to do that show 
in our town. Yeah. Because they had never seen anything like that there before. And and that kind of, you know, that just like built us all up so much because we realized that what we were doing really meant a lot. And not only did it mean a lot to, to this person, but to a lot of other people, we did get a lot of support. We also got a lot of hate. I mean, I'm not oh, saying that yeah, we didn't I'm get sure, a lot of hate. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> um, the voicemail, because we had voicemails, but uh, the, <laughs> the, the voicemail <laughs> was full of, of people realizing that Angels in America was not what they thought it was going to be. Yep. Um, so, but, you know, we were able to do this show, and like I was saying, this you know, these individuals were were touched or changed that we had been able to perform this in our town where something like this would not be accepted, but it was... I felt like it was more something for me because it forced me to to come to grips with something that obviously I was struggling with. Yeah. And um and led me down a, a road of of being so much more accepting and realizing that, you know, just just because somebody is different than I am, that does not give me license to feel like what they are doing is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that was kind of a huge lesson for me at that time. Um just because I hadn't been really exposed, you know, to, to that many people who were had different values or different views. And then also realizing that, you know, there is something that can be that that I can um, garner from that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. That I know it was super heavy. Um, <laughs> but so I'd say the perfect time because I feel like if I would have continued forward, I don't know if I would have become the person that I am today yeah. you know I don't I don't know if because it I, it was at a younger age and it kind of forced me into confronting some demons that obviously I needed to confront oh and, for sure and now I I just I don't I don't know what would have happened if I wouldn't have done that show it also taught me so much about the power of doing um doing a show that can that that is that is for social change I guess is the yeah, best way yeah. to talk about it which I feel like fuels so much about what I do now in, in my career. Um, I, I wish that every show had that exact same feeling and experience, you know, to be in that cast and to see the audience, you know, f- just, just feeling that love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Every show would be amazing. And also knowing that when people leave, that they're going to talk about it. And yeah. maybe they're a little different. I remember my dad came to see that show. Um, and my mom didn't, which I was okay with. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was okay with. There were certain things in there. I was like, I'm all right with mom not seeing this. But, <laughs> but my dad came to see it, and um, I remember he sat on the front row, and I was just really hopeful that he wouldn't have done this. Because we were in a small black box. I was like, oh, he's just right it's in my so face. so intimate. You can I, see him and everything. And yeah. there were just certain things that I would never <laughs> want want to be doing in front of a family member that I got to do in that show. Um, and, and afterwards he came up and he was a lot more generous than I thought he was going to be. I remember being a little like, Ooh, what's this going to be like? But he was a lot more generous. Uh, He, he said, you know, this may not have been exactly my cup of tea, but I thought that everybody did a really great job and it seems like this show needed to happen. Yeah. Like, wow, that is that was a lot. That was a lot to hear, yeah. I think, for us. You know, later, whenever they saw me in Rocky Horror Show, it was a very different situation. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I had A very had different opinion. Yeah. I don't know if that show was the perfect show at the perfect time. <laughs> right. 
But you well, know what's so great about that is it changed your perspective and it got people talking. It's true, yeah. And, and I think you never want people to walk away feeling indifferent. Of course, yeah. You want to... I, I think that's the most powerful... Uh, I don't know. I was going to say weapon, but I don't think it's like a weapon. I, I think it's... Unless you think it's like a fight. But it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's theater's most powerful gift, I yeah. guess, that they can give to people is just... And I think that we've talked about this before. Just that going to see a show opens your mind up to, to new perspectives. And in that instance, I recognize and fully know my own ignorance yeah. whenever I walked into that show. And everything that that show taught me, I mean, I... I, I realized there was not I did not know as much as as I should have about the AIDS crisis yeah, going yeah, yeah. into it and just how horrific that event was for people and and how horribly they were treated. Yeah. And going through that and just and just learning what they had to go through is it's you know it's it's heartbreaking. For it's, sure. It's hard to deal with. And then you know also to have somebody who was like my father, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there were other people that were like him that came to see the show and then walked away thinking, you know, like maybe I don't agree with these people, but you know, I can understand why this was important. Yeah, for sure. And you know, that's a, that's a huge conversation. I mean, I, I know that through theater, my family and just my experience through theater has, has grown so much in their, um, and their social beliefs, I guess, is the way yeah. to say it. Um, just from from being able to to see other perspectives, and then to also to see their son in that kind mm-hmm. of a situation. And even though there's a disconnect there, like I know my mom has come to see shows and has been like, "Oh, that was really hard to yeah. see you go through that." But it, and for me, what I think is, well, that wasn't me, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it wasn't exactly easy for me to go through it either. But it, it wasn't me. That was that's someone else's experience. Yeah. And, that's what we should be talking about for sure, and um, and I know that that's hard for them to kind of disconnect, but in a way, it's also a good thing because it it forces them to almost be ten times more empathetic to the situation because they get to see their son. What if my son was experiencing that? You yeah. Know? Um. Well, what about you? Do you have any perfect shows at the perfect time? Well, yeah. I uh, well, I previously talked about that in um maybe our first or our prequel episode about, you know, how I was going through a really depressed state because I went through this really messy breakup with this person and uh, some other life circumstances. Like my grandmother had passed away and it was the person Mm -hmm. that I was like really closest to. And I thought, well, maybe this whole theater career is, oh man, this is a really heavy start to this episode. (laughs) Um, hey, but you know, not everything. It's almost like when you talk about improv. Improv doesn't always have to be funny. Yeah, true. It's just about it's 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 real life. It's you improv. just have to like figure out, you know, figure the path. Just right. Be honest and truthful. And, I guess. You know, when we did Mary Poppins, it was also this twofold thing where I was terrified of doing a musical because I'm not trained to sing yeah. to dance. I only learned acting. Well, that was it. <laughs> and anything out of your comfort zone always yeah. in the beginning. I mean, I don't I don't care who you are. It's going to be scary. If it doesn't scare you, that something's oh, yeah. wrong with I don't know, your adrenal glands or something. And <laughs> then I came into that rehearsal process late, kind of like cuz I think you had flown in or something to be a part of the show. Yeah, I came in uh like 
two or three weeks, two yeah. and a half weeks before the production. And I was right before you. Yeah, I, and so I didn't know that. I was learning everything last minute because they had a bunch of people like back out again. I do remember looking at you and thinking, why don't you know this tap dance already? <laughs> I know that they've taught this to you. And you were just over there joking around. I was like, oh, what a jerk. Yeah, no. <laughs> and now that you know me, you're like, this dude can't dance to save his yeah, life. Yeah, no, now I know. Um. But it was one of those things where I was just a background player sort of filling it, being the, the texture to the scenes. And having all of those people who were this built-in family already accept me mm-hmm. and then allow me to be a part of that process sort of really restored me. And, and I had this imagery in my mind of when, when you like fall down a hole or something and you like climb – Mm-hmm. And you're starting to get towards the light and you can see like the break of day through it. And that's just how that moment and that show uh, I compare that to because all of those people, all of those kids that were in that show, I'm still very connected to. And I, I still like to follow them and see what they're up to, because to me, that was like the first family. And to be I honest, had. they're not kids anymore. No, they're I know. Like that's what's crazy. They're all adults. <laughs> so and and in. And in Kind of keeping along with that, have you ever had uh, your life kind of match a show like it reflected? Oh my goodness! Yeah, like your life circumstance, like something that's you're yeah, it like mirrors what you're going through on the stage. I feel like oh, there's there's got to be a time. There's got to be a time whenever uh, whenever it was the same, like this. I mean, definitely, maybe not. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say not Greater Tuna, but <laughs> in all honesty, where I grew up, it was pretty much yeah. That yep. was pretty much what I grew up. Um, I ooh, I don't know. I don't know if I have a quick answer to this question. You don't either, do I you? Do. Oh, I do. Oh, you I can, do. I, I can answer it real I quick. I should have. I shouldn't have doubted you. I should have <laughs> just thrown it right back to you. Also, I would like to say before we move on to this next question, that Chris can tap dance and maybe he couldn't but he was worked really hard and he at least (laughs) knows one tap dance and you'd never know and he's gonna edit that out (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the problem with not being the editor right um okay chris so what was a time where your life circumstances matched that of the show um it well previously I had spoken about um, the Diary of Anne Frank. Oh right, yeah, 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 yeah. And that show, it was sort of the beginning of the end of this relationship. <laughs> um, that that relationship that was so horrendous that kind of brought me to that depressive state. But it had put me in a place of isolation, and I was isolated. And I played a character that come on like an hour into the show where everything is established. All of these characters are ready to rock and roll, right? Mm-hmm. So I sat backstage by myself a lot. I was the last one to get makeup on, to get everything done, ready to rock and roll. And it was that isolation that gave me sort of that that character. I could, I could instill that within the character. Mm-hmm. And I could be lonely I could be it it was just one of those weird circumstances and things where I felt that character so much that these people didn't like them the audience doesn't like you you're going through this thing like all by yourself you don't want to talk about it with anybody because 
it's a breakup, right? Yeah. You, you know, you're just like trying to process. You're in this headspace. And it was this really cool thing that I look back now and see. Um, yeah. <laughs> perspective. <laughs> yeah. You, you get that perspective. And, and, and you're just like, wow, this, this was an incredible experience that life was prepping me for. Mm-hmm. I was being put in a situation to, to do this thing, to be a part of this, to, to be made for this role at this time. Yeah. I mean, it, it does, it is an interesting idea. It, it almost feels like sometimes a, a sh- you get put into a part and you're like, it's almost like I had to go through these experiences so that I could portray this great story. Yeah. So well. You yeah. Know? And, and if I wouldn't have gone through that, I would not have been able to play the part. So almost, right. I, I, maybe this is just really theatery, but I mean, does that mean that. <laughs> Your breakup was a good thing? Oh, for sure. I mean, we know oh, you. No, yes, 100%. <laughs> yes, it was very much a good thing. But um, but it's not like you want to go out there. I definitely don't want to say that we want people to go out there and seek out misery so that they're better on stage. I don't know yeah, if that's yeah, yeah, the yeah, story yeah, yeah. that we're saying, but I'm saying that, like, you know, in a, in a way, it's kismet or happenstance or yeah. whatever it is that it, it just it puts you in this place where you get to tell this beautiful story in the best way possible and it it actually gave way to at at the sort of the midway point something happens and my character blames the young boy who's in there for the noise that he makes Mm -hmm. which ends up being the reason that they get caught anyway um but the the night of the opening of the performance that boy like helps me up because i fall down or something and he helps me up and 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 i just remember shoving him back and and just yelling at him, this is your fault. Unscripted. I was just totally in the moment in that performance, right? And the and the I uh, think you're about to get sued. Like you know, maybe the, the writers of Amber <laughs> coming after us. Like, this was Chris McDowell. Ad living dramatically. Was Chris. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it was totally the, this character moment that I I don't know if I wouldn't have been in that headspace if I would have had that breakthrough in that moment, if I would have just done the script, done it this way, not been the character and, and, and to to have such a powerful, and it was just silence Mm. instead of everything moving. It was this silence that everybody was like, what? What?" (laughs) Um, And, and the other, the, the young guy who was the actor, Jeremy uh, Manuel just looked at me like, you know, kind of like at a loss for words. And it just made this thing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it's like it, I know it was a second, but it felt eternal. Yeah, to me. Where where you get to sit in those feelings? Those yeah, are, that's awesome. I mean, it's a fine line, I think, and it can be a little scary whenever you're on stage and you're so into it, and especially I think whenever you it relates so much to your own life and your experiences and what you're going through, to toe that line of not losing control yeah. and being in like being in control of yourself and and uh yeah it's yeah. like some daniel day lewis yeah stuff. right <laughs> but but it, you kind of like have to lose yourself in the in that moment mm-hmm. to make it better yeah no i mean that's a beautiful thing that's i mean a super like it's amazing to be that vulnerable and to be able to be that vulnerable on stage in front of everyone yeah and feel safe enough to where you can give way to an emotion like that. Right. That's awesome. I, you, when you were talking about that, I was reminded of a play that I did um, called Wasteland, and it's like a, mm, yeah. a two-person show. I've talked to you about it before. Yeah. 
Um, it's a it's a two man show, and one guy you see, and one uh, the the other character you you never you never see him. He in the characters are trapped in a it's during the Vietnam War. They're trapped in a in a cell in the ground, and one guy they're and both of the characters' name is Joe, mm-hmm. and um at one point you know the they they have the you kind of have the realization and it's so beautifully written. Um, you have the realization as an audience member, the same time as the Joe that you see has the realization that it's possible that the other person is made up in mm, his mind and yeah. that he's just hallucinating this whole thing. And this show is a roller coaster of insanity. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. It was, it was a lot. I did it um, at the Road Theater in Los Angeles with my my buddy Ty, and um, at the time I was living in Chicago, and I had flown in to LA to do this show. And um, while I was there, I, I was just kind of struggling to find who I was in yeah. Chicago, and I hadn't really. I mean, I had some footing there, but I hadn't really like caught on. And I remember I had gotten my like fourth or fifth audition with Chicago Shakes and yeah. like, it wasn't going anywhere. And yeah. Every time I'd show up, they'd be like, oh, this was great. And then I nothing would come from it. And they would just call me back in again. And so I just kind of felt like I was in this eternal loop. And um, and I remember being out there and just feeling like I didn't know, like I was trapped, kind of yeah. like I had made these choices and I got to this place and I, and I don't know what to do. And nobody, like I go to these auditions, but nobody ever sees me. Right. And then I do this show in L.A. where nobody sees me because <laughs> I was the character behind the wall. Right. And and in a way that was kind of freeing, I was it was. You know, in this particular show, in order to make it believable, like I had my own blocking, even though nobody saw me, I was yeah. still on stage, but I had my own blocking. I was moving and everything. And I I felt like I had my own play back there, but still it was like the focus wasn't on me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so afterwards people would come up and be like, that was, you were the, uh, is that, that was you, right? <laughs> right. And I was like, yeah, I was, I was that other guy. <laughs> um, so I'd feel like in a way it was kind of mirroring what was going on in my life. And I remember the day that I left, um, that I, that I left the like closing party, I'd gotten an, uh, an audition email from Chicago shakes telling me to be there at six in the morning. Like I, I'm wow. saying, sorry, 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 sorry. The audition was not at six in the morning. <laughs> okay. A uh, flight that I, th- that I finally found a book to go back was at 6 AM. So I had to like leave. And I remember the traffic was going to take so long because <laughs> of where we were. <laughs> and I remember Ty being like, uh, we're going to just grab your stuff. Cause it was like three in the morning. Oh wow. Yeah. He was, I was very different then. So he was like, we're just going to grab your stuff and start driving. Cause it's going to take us a really long time to get there. So, um, yeah, but anyway, but uh, and then I went to that audition and nothing came from it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if that's a really great example, um, but you know. But it, but it's really cool to to hear that y- you were kind of going through this sort of crisis, but you, it was like this formless thing, and then you were the formless guy behind the wall almost. That is true. Yeah, it, it was. It was a strange way it it was it was get me yeah i was invisible it yeah. felt like i was just invisible so you ever had a, a a show or a moment or something that you didn't 
like you didn't realize how much you needed it. Um, you know what? I did this this weird little thing. I got I got thrown into this experience. I, you know, uh, not long after this this wasteland experience, and I was kind of spinning my wheels, just constantly auditioning, which is everybody's experience in the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, and I got a phone call from my my good buddy Spencer, and he was directing this cool little. Um, it was like a they were they were trying to create a new type of of theater experience. Yeah. And so they they were going to do these one acts and then you could go walking through this really hipster neighborhood and in Chicago and then and see like visual art yeah. like sculptures and weird live frozen scenes from each play. And which was kind of neat. So you'd watch it and then you'd go around and you'd see all of these insta- art like art installations yeah, everywhere yeah, yeah. that reflected the pieces. Well, the guy that um, he had cast in this show, it was called Paper Clips. It was about these homeless people um, uh, that were living in a tent. So Spencer called me and he was like, hey, man, I just lost an actor. And not like he lost him in the woods, but like he like, you know, the, the actor wasn't able to fulfill the <laughs> yeah. obligation. And um, and their show opened in two days. And so he was like, and luckily it was a one act, but it was just two people in it. And so it's still over 10 minutes of yeah, talking yeah, yeah. as it was a lot. So I remember showing up and the show was in a old funeral home. Oh, yes. And so when I say I didn't know that I needed this experience, it was the whole experience was just <laughs> it brought me so much joy. It also showed me a lot of people who had been working in the business for a while. And we're just like, you know what? We are going to create something, even if it's not exactly what we want to be doing. You know, it's not like it's not like Broadway. It's not at Steppenwolf or yeah. Goodman or Chicago Shakes. It's we're going to create something so that we are doing something, and we're not going to be spinning our wheels. And that was really cool, even in this place. I believe the name of it was the Charnel House <laughs> Theater, and it was in this old funeral home. And the guy that ran it that owned the building lived above the theater in like this, like, I don't know the funeral director like above apartment. the funeral home. Yeah. Like oh, a wow. funeral director apartment. And while we would be downstairs doing the show or rehearsing, he would come downstairs and he always had like a 40 in his hand <laughs> <laughs> of some nasty beer. And he would open the funeral director's window like you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. had these little bitty like windows in the middle of the wall and he would open it and just watch from the little window and <laughs> you would see him <laughs> take a sip of his 40 and close the little door. <laughs> yep, and this then, is a show that I wanted to oh, yeah, not so catch. Basically. And he had all these cats. It was just ridiculous. And I remember being backstage, and there was um, there was a, a, a one of the one acts was about a drag queen, and so there was a drag queen there getting ready, and they had put all their stuff out on the table, and she's putting her makeup on and everything. And I walked by, and and she was telling everybody the whole time how much she just like couldn't stand the fact that it was used to be a funeral home and how grossed out she was. And I was yeah. like, "Well, you are about to be very upset." <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, your makeup table 
well, you see that hole at the end of that makeup table? And she's like, yeah. It's like, well, that is because this was the embalming table. (laughs) 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 And oh, my goodness. Makeup. You want to talk about like makeup everywhere, like confetti (laughs) screaming. I that was a very bad situation. I had to I had to apologize to everybody because she refused to come back back that entire night so she didn't do the show that night she was out she was gone she she hit the road the green room was also you notice i'm not talking very much about the show it wasn't the show it was the overall experience of how much i needed it the green room was just the alley they put fold-up chairs in the The alley behind behind the thing so there was residential (laughs) property right behind it that was like apartments you know and um, that had little yards and a fence and dumpsters. And so we were between like four dumpsters and they had some chairs and that they brought out. But if you brought a chair out, you had to bring it back because cars use the alley. So anytime it was like, <laughs> Wayne's, it was like Wayne's World, you were like, oh, green room off. And you'd like <laughs> have to take your chairs out of the way and the car would pass. <laughs> you bring the chairs back on. But. Uh, you know, all of those things to say that that experience, even though it was so ridiculous and so many aspects of it were just crazy. And the fact that I did this, learn this show in two days or whatever, um, it just it kind of brought me out of that funk in a way of being like, yeah, you know what? There's stuff to do. Yeah. No matter what. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not picky, there is a show right. <laughs> that you can be in. Um, but I will never ever forget that. I think the group that came in to Chicago was they were actually like a like this weird traveling band from Colorado. They were like, Hey, we're gonna go up to Chicago and do this thing and they somehow knew my friend Spencer. That's how it and all happened. They just lucked up upon this space. I mean if you go to Chicago, well, not right now because of the pandemic, yeah, but yeah, yeah. if you're in Chicago, anytime you look up what's happening at the Charnel House, it exists. It is there. You know, it is amazing to me how you continue to tell these fresh stories of these experiences <laughs> that, that you make haven't no heard? sense. <laughs> <laughs> like most people are like, you know, I followed this path to get to here, to get to here. And you're just like, you know, I, I did a show in a funeral hall. <laughs> Well, I did. A, I went to L.A. A better, uh, to do a, a better show behind show a wall. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was. It wasn't saying it that way. And then it makes you previously me... were this fake sommelier for wine. <laughs> <laughs> you do what you gotta do. <laughs> you do what you gotta do to survive in this business. In the name of exposure. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, we didn't even get into the me doing. Fifty Shades of Shakespeare in the attic of a of a gay bar. I'm so sorry. That was like uh, a whole experience too. Is but that the one that you you feel like you needed though? Did I need that? Did I did not need that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I did. It was I I needed it for a humbling experience. It, yeah, it brought me humility. Maybe and, that's all of all of these stories. That's what that's the answer. Who, that's how we're bringing it back. Who who did you play? Uh, and what shows did you perform at that Fifty Shades of Shakespeare? I played every role. This was, One man show? No, no. This It basically felt that way. This was insane. And maybe we can get into this a little bit more some other time. But <laughs> um, since this is a, a sidebar and I do get very tangential. So um, 
we, we did this show and we never knew what character we were going to play until the mm. show started. So we had to memorize every single role and the audience would choose who we were going to play. Oh, nice. So there was like a... And this is both sexes, right? It's not Yeah, like, it was everything. Yeah. Like, no matter what, I was either going to be Ophelia or I was going to be Hamlet. <laughs> and I had done both. So, um, you know, and that just kind of ran the gambit. And we never knew. We had, like, blocking for all of it that was set. Yeah. But, I mean, it was memorizing an hour and a half of Shakespeare, and you had to know the whole thing. That's tough. And it was also doing it... Um, I assume, I'm trying to think if I these assume, are things I want to say on the podcast this entire time. I feel like back of my brain being like, don't tell these stories. <laughs> this is what we should have started I with, and then was, I should have moved into the heavy. Yeah, um, adult-themed. Right? Well, it's Fifty Shades yeah, of Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting ex excursion in my life, and that is that is true. And it actually, I think... It was still run. It's still running. Really? Yeah. So we started this, and I have, I, have, I feel so bad about it. <laughs> and I remember how it started. It started with some friends of mine who I had done a show, like a, 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 a one of Shakespeare shows with. Yeah. And um, and we were talking about certain scenes, and I was like, "Oh, that's Fifty Shades of Shakespeare right there." And then we just started talking about it. it was like, what if? And that sh I should have never uh, should have never happened. So again, this is a, a you thing. It was a me thing, and um, I mean, I can't take full credit for it. There were other people there that were also agging it or egging it on. Yeah, I was gonna say agging it on. It was, I don't know agonizing. where that came from. Ag it was agonizing. <laughs> 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 uh, but um, but yeah, we did. It, it moved all the way through, and then eventually, like the company, it was it was successful enough that when the company sold, they sold the the name of the company to a different group, and they they kept running it. Yeah, just nonstop. Interesting. Different locations, but we did it on the in the attic of a Hamburger Mary's. Love it. So, which is a uh, a a gay bar and a hamburger joint. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, have have you had a show that sort of like gave you the 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 skills to set you up for like the next show or to set you up for a further show or something like that? How about you know you've asked a lot of questions. How about I ask the question? This well, time? Well, okay, you ask okay. some questions. Have you ever done a show that? <laughs> Like you learned anything from that really set you up for the next like thing in life that you needed, like a life skill. Um, Did that sound natural? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that sounded great. <laughs> um, um, yeah, uh, when we did Much Ado About Nothing, um, and I played Claudio, it, it taught me that being a very young actor it taught me that you don't have to get to the emotion immediately. Mm -hmm. You don't start off at 11, right? And that it's not just one emotion that you're ever feeling. Yeah. It's a multitude of things. Well, that's a huge thing in Shakespeare because, you know, they're constantly talking about what is their stream of consciousness. Yeah. And so being able to play that and to build upon it, I mean, if you, if you just go at it, like when you were saying it at 11, that means just like giving it, you're all like on yeah. a scale to one to ten. You're going, you know, 
And it's like so. you, you have no emphasis for mm. the end. It's like you plateau and you stay up there and you there are no levels. Well, to, yeah, and after so with. long of just listening to that, like I, I know I talk to actors about this all the time and also try to remind myself of it that even though it may feel like, yeah, I just got to like run. Yeah. As hard as I can, you know, and and I'm because you I'm want feeling to, this, you know, and get to get the it's, thing. It's just like you jump straight to, um, oh my goodness, what, I'm trying to think of what this TV show was that Lexi and I were watching not long ago, where every scene there was a character that teared up. Every scene, The Flash. <laughs> it might have been a flash. <laughs> it was just like every. It is like a CW thing. It's yeah. Like, oh, I'm acting. See, my eyes are watery, and I have one tear. It's like, yeah, you can cry, but just because you can do that, if you hold on to that and you wait for the right moment, yeah, then it's so much more powerful. We, they used to tell us in school all the time that you have to earn it, yeah, and earning that pause and earning that moment is is huge, and you feel it in the audience too when you get it right. Mm-hmm. Oh, because it was it was the uh, where where he's fake marrying hero at mm-hmm. the at the wedding or whatever. And it was building, 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 building. And, and you know, kind of like you were talking about the crying or whatever, it's, it's so much more powerful to resist the urge to cry, right? Well, yeah, everybody wants to see struggle. I mean, yeah. it's like why I can sit down really late at night and watch two hours of fail videos on accident. <laughs> yeah, right. It's because you like to see the struggle. Yeah. And, you know, the payoff is... You watch that struggle for so long, and then there's the release. Yeah, and and then you get to that 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 last like punctuated moment, and it really taught me uh, that there there are layers upon what you're doing. You're never just angry. You're never just sad. You're never mm-hmm. just hurt. And those are like all these feelings that you know Claudio was feeling, and it really challenged me as an actor moving forward. Like, what's the emotional stakes in every scene? Right. And and that that really like set me up and taught me to be able to to do shows like The Exonerated or to do mm-hmm. uh, uh you know the Diary of Anne Frank and things like that to really Well that is like the that is a massive lesson. I mean I I, I feel like I'm still trying to learn that lesson myself. And right. It's a huge thing to be able to learn at such a young so early in your yeah. process in your career. That's awesome. I I you know I've never learned anything that helped me from any other show. <laughs> any ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's I've never never learned anything. You lie. I um I was in I mean I have definitely learned some life lessons. I I'm I'm realizing now I all I'm thinking about is the experience. Yeah. And maybe it's just because we haven't been able to do theater in so long at this oh, point for sure. that yeah. I just keep thinking about oh what did I learn from the cast and at that point mm-hmm. in my life while this show was happening. And so I remember uh, I was doing it. I was doing this show and the director had played the role before, Ooh. which is difficult. And I can say as somebody who's directed somebody who's playing a role that I've played before, it's very, very hard to not just immediately jump in and be like, these are your choices. Yep. <laughs> because what I did was perfect. And you'll never, you know, you'll never do better. This is what you should do. This yeah. is the way it should be done. It is very hard to change your your mind and be like, no, this is their experience. It needs to, they need to bring to the table, you know, something that I couldn't, obviously. Yeah. So I was doing a show. I was uh, I was younger. I was doing Midsummer Night's Dream, actually. And, um, 
and I was playing Oberon for the sixth time. Um, <laughs> it was one of those, you know, you you you're six three with a deep voice, so you get the king of the fairies. Yeah, you're <laughs> rarely gonna be a. You're the ex. Or a, you're the exposition man. That's what I always thought about Oberon. I was like, can he just be called like the the exposition fairy? Yep. I mean, that's really all he is. He just comes in and he's like, this is what's going on. I'm gonna go over here. No one can see me. I am invisible, which is one of my favorite lines that he says <laughs> when he literally says, I am invisible and will overhear their conference. And then he just stands, stands there. there. <laughs> yep. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, I'm just going to watch this Helena and Demetrius scene. But the director had played the role before and the director and I were also friends and we had, we had like a, a friendship, but we also had a, like a, a, a mentor mentee relationship, yeah. I guess as well. So there was just a lot of levels as far as the working relationship that we found ourselves in where, you know, I was being, I was a paid actor and he was a paid director mm-hmm. and we had to like try to work through that. Yeah. Like little web and how you deal with people that you're friends with while you're working with them. That was a huge lesson. Yep. That was a, a big lesson right there, especially whenever, they're wrong. <laughs> but but in this in this in this particular instance, he just kept steering me into this direction that I didn't think really fit in the show. And I would try. I, I do feel like um I do feel like as an actor, you have got to try. I mean yeah. I, I nothing frustrates me more as a director or watching a rehearsal process when an actor is like just not willing to give themselves over to the process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this is what the director has worked really hard on solidifying the scene and cast you in this so that you could do this. And then you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Like, no, you have got to at least give it an attempt so that we can see it doesn't work. I mean, it's, you can't go in thinking you're not going to fail. Right. Anyway. Um, but so, so he was just kind of, steering the character in a direction that I did not quite understand. And then I realized that he was directing the character for the midsummer that he was in. Yeah. Not for the midsummer that I was in. And yeah. That was after talking a lot of talking about what what exactly is the motivation? Like why is Oberon here? Why is he doing this? What is the purpose of all of these things? And his answers, whenever we would have this discussion, was always not within our concept that he had already given us for the right. show. It was like, and it took a little while for me as the performer to figure out how to navigate that. And I can't say that there were not some very turbulent rehearsals right. during this time. And so I think in that way, that show taught me, or that experience taught me how to to deal with a combative work environment right. in a healthy way not in a like throw a chair and yell at somebody yeah, yeah, yeah. and walk away kind of a way <laughs> you know it, it it it's crazy to me that we're so taught and and kind of programmed to avoid any kind of conflict at all yeah but it, it it's okay to disagree and like especially in this case where he was so married to the performance that he was doing yeah and you know you're not the same actor mm-hmm. and, and that and it wasn't the same show, yeah, same yeah, concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of our, our ours like was this 
steampunk thing because that's what everybody was doing then. Yeah. You did Shakespeare, you put somebody in steampunk. So. But it's okay to to creatively disagree and like you know, not screaming at one another. But well, like, yeah, like come on, man. Do I don't that. I don't I don't agree with what you're choosing here. You gotta get me through the process of what you're thinking. Well, right. And especially whenever you approach it in a healthy way where you're saying, I don't understand, can you help me yeah. understand what you're saying? Now it is very frustrating when that person then can't. Yeah. And so then they go to a, an unhealthy place of just, oh, now I'm angry and I'm right. gonna make you look and feel dumb. Right. Which is not okay. And at this point, honestly, I was a, a way younger actor and did not really understand what my rights were as a human yeah, being. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like <laughs> yeah. just so happy to be there doing yeah. this thing that I loved and you know, most of the time that does give way to people abusing you in a, in a ab- abusing your their their position. Yeah, you know, so. for your exposure. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, you know, y- you say that, and it reminds me of uh, like your whole situation reminded me of when we did Greater Tuna because I know that you had done that with Richard before right. me, and I and I'd expressed to you, hey man, I don't know, like. This is going to be a totally different show. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not him. I'm not you. This is going to be this totally different. Well, energy. that was kind of crazy too because you were playing my role, yeah. and I was playing his role. And and you never once like berated me for doing my own thing. You you reined me back or pushed me forward one way or the other. But it was never about I want to mimic the show that came before this. Mm-hmm. I want you to do the same exact things that I did. You let me like have that creative freedom to to form these characters in my own way, which obviously wasn't your experience with that director in that well, situation. Yeah. But, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's something that I appreciate as an actor. Like, I had that weight on my shoulders, like, oh, man, I don't know if I can live up to what had come before. And I'm, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe... Well, especially when you're doing a show that... I mean, that show in particular, because it was something that I got to do with, you know, this, this huge person that yeah. was in my life... And that you know shaped my career yeah. in ways and all that stuff. My and and now you and I are doing it. Yeah. And uh, after he has passed away, and so yes, there is there is a lot of weight there. And it was also the first show of the theater company that we just started, <laughs> so that was even more pressure. And let I, me just I say, when when we walked out that after all the rehearsal, after all the practice, after all of the the prep that we had done, walking out that first night, seeing a crowd full of people and and you know what that taught me skills too yeah we should have gone out there i don't know what i was thinking we should have gone out there before and just been like hey everybody we this is our first show we just opened um we're a little emotional yeah right (laughs) but and, and and on top of that the skill that it taught me was to throw everything out the window yeah it was like oh cody's gonna literally mess with me for the next two hours and try to get me to break. Okay, uh, here we go. It was so much fun. But on t- but a- another thing too, especially with that show, is that you you gotta have fun. Right? Yeah, you do have to have fun. It was, and that it, was one thing. Sad thing about the my midsummer experience in that particular one is that it was kind of taken away from me. Yeah, and so I had to learn through that show just about what was on our topic, and then I'm going to come back to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I had to learn in that show how to still deliver the performance while 
not necessarily wanting to be there. Yeah. And that was a huge, huge, huge life lesson that then whenever I, I eventually made it into the more of a professional career, um, that it, it taught me how to deal with more hostile people because there are times you just don't like everybody in the show or yeah. you disagree with somebody. But disagreeing is fine, just like you said, just making sure you're doing it in a healthy way that's still respectful. Yeah. But Greater Tuna, so much fun. And if you're not doing, I mean, this particular show, you talk about a lesson to learn. If if you're not having a good time, the there's no point in doing it. Right. I mean, it's a it's just a mad rush to the end. Oh that's yeah, really what it is. But you know, something else that taught that I that I learned in that show is to hit the throttle a little bit. Yeah. You don't have to race. Yeah. Just hit the throttle, and it was the first time I really felt that we had to pull back. So that the audience could comprehend. Could catch up. Yeah. yeah. It was like, Well, wow. you start to move so fast, especially in this production, because you're running on and off the stage in this particular show and doing a lot of quick changes because two guys are playing every character in an entire town. Mm-hmm. And it centers around a radio show, and they're going there. We had four entrances and exits, and everything is constantly changing and the minute that you leave the stage you are changing into a new character to enter to continue the scene that you're <laughs> yeah. still in people were like oh that took two seconds how did you get everything on and off it was like oh well uh secrets <laughs> yeah, right <laughs> we will never tell you that there are two people back there <laughs> ready to help us um you know that particular show also taught me a whole other world of patience because um I was like my dresser backstage was my wife and she did not think that I did things the right way. (laughs) It was so funny because I would walk up, throw my arms up and let my changer just go ahead and change me. She knew everything. And then Cody would be combative and start swatting away. I didn't think I was being combative. I was just (laughs) trying to help, but I was not being helpful. And so that that was a, a... a lesson learned of relinquishing control yeah. and trusting even my wife <laughs> in that moment. Um, but yeah, and, and then to, to go through that whole experience with you, it was very I was very thankful of that because you know, um, and we could probably do a whole a whole show on on the people who have influenced us you oh, know, to, yeah. to make it to this point. And I would love to do that, but um, you know one of the my first theater influences that w- was a big way was Richard and this show that who who I did this show with and this show was so huge to me to be able to perform again and I never thought that I after he had passed away I never thought that I would perform the show again yeah and um which I know was a lot to put on to a particular show yeah, but yeah, I yeah. just couldn't imagine doing it it just seemed so solidified in my brain of of him and me and that was what it was but then you know after doing some shows with you and becoming friends it was like oh well of course like i should do this show again i mean it's here is this person that you know we've got great on-stage chemistry i trust him so much i i like could go out there not having a clue what to say and i know that chris will just walk off stage and leave me all alone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it too. Give me a second. Give me a chance. <laughs> but I know that you're going to be there eventually once you figure out what to do. You'll re-enter yeah. and you will help me. Yeah. But 
I mean, to 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 have found you, it felt kind of like a diamond in a rough situation. It was like, oh, thank God! Like, here's this person that that gets it, and this would be so fun, and and in a way, kind of honored that you know that that past experience as well. Which you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to let go. It's hard, definitely yeah. hard to let go and to embrace new experiences, which is yet another thing theater has taught me. Right. Yeah, because I'm, mean, you know. You do a show for a little while, and then immediately after that, you're doing another show. Right. And you're saying goodbye to this family that we had talked about, you know? So, what would you say might be your next perfect show at the perfect time? Ooh. So, what I would hope. I thought it was going to be To Kill a Mockingbird, I personally. Know. That's, I mean, <laughs> that really, you talk about the perfect show at the perfect time. Um, that and I especially like everything going do, on in our country right now, too. I know. We could probably just do every single one of our podcasts. We could do a little bit about To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, the next perfect show. You know, there is this, um, there is this, Two, I've talking a lot about these two-handers, about these two-person plays, mm-hmm. but it did just kind of like pop into my head. Is there's this play called Mountaintop, and if you haven't read it, you should read it. It is amazing. It is a play about Martin Luther King, and it's on the day that he was assassinated, and oh, he's wow. in the hotel, and a uh, he, the show opens. It, it's it's so interesting. The show opens with Martin Luther King using the bathroom, (laughs) which I I know sounds ridiculous, but it is really awesome. I mean, you just see the, I I don't know, every show is probably different, but whenever I saw a production of it, they just had the door to the bathroom. You just saw that, oh, that's a bathroom, doors open, and you heard him using the bathroom, and he came out, but in a way, it was so smart because it immediately made him a human being. Yeah. You know, and and then in that moment I remember sitting out in the audience and thinking, I I always just thought of Martin Luther King as, you know, civil rights icon. Yeah. Speech giver. Not this legendary as, figure almost. Right. Not as like a oh, this was a, a man with real life experiences. Mm-hmm. He's not just this recording of a man giving speeches. Um and so then he calls for like he calls for uh I think at one point he calls for Jesse Jackson to go get him cigarettes like off stage. <laughs> <laughs> but a uh, a maid enters and she he like hits on the maid and you're like what is going on? Yeah. And she eventually comes out and, and says that she is a guardian angel, which is a bit at the at the moment felt like oh they're about to jump the shark. Yeah. You know, it's like ooh, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, sure. Okay, what's where is this going to go? But she's been sent basically from heaven to get to prepare him for his death. Yeah. But she's not supposed to tell him Mm. that she's an angel, but it it comes out. And so then they have this whole conversation, and then he gets to see where the civil rights movement goes and who takes over. And it's just, it's so informative and beautiful and humanizing in a way. And for me, made made the civil rights movement make so much more sense. I mean, I obviously I think probably just more visually. So 
reading about this in school and talking about it with friends, it was always seemed a little bit disconnected, which I guess is my privilege talking right yeah. now. But um, being able to see the show, it just brought it like right in my face and it made it in such an approachable way. Um, and I think that that could be a next perfect show that I would love to be able to direct, obviously. Oh, yeah. Be in it, but uh, it, I would love to be able to direct it. Um, but it will be Mockingbird. <laughs> oh, yeah. For 100%. <laughs> I was obviously talking hypothetical because we talked so much about To Kill a Mockingbird, but it's just because we're s- still so bummed. Um, well, what about you? Perfect show, man. Do you have a next perfect show? It's a show that I've wanted to do for a long time. Oh, my goodness. The it's the Shakespeare fantastic. Bridged. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why you would say such hurtful things to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Shakespeare a bridge. I have always wanted to do that show. Oh man, I would love so to do much. that show. Um, but with so that, Shakespeare a bridge, why why Shakespeare a bridge? Like why is that? Because I know this is something that you've wanted <laughs> to do. That you know, I, I also know a little bit of the backstory that you thought you were going to be able to do it once, and yeah, 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 and blah blah some, blah, some blah, stuff blah, happened, blah. Yeah. So but, so what is it about Shakespeare a bridge that you love so much? The so, so I really was very uninvested in Shakespeare, period, until I did um, Much Ado About Nothing. Mm-hmm. And then it just, like, I fell in love with sort of performing as, in general because of that. And then having these three guys get on stage and do everything. Yeah, literally And make everything. it funny and make it approachable to people mm-hmm. who wouldn't normally you know, go see Shakespeare That's true. Or, or that actually really love Shakespeare on the other side of the spectrum too. Yeah. It kind of brings <laughs> everybody in. Yes. Which is nice. And, and just to have all like when he, he, he drops the cards and he starts talking about like history, yeah. like everything for me in that show works mm-hmm. in, in a way that's informative. It's funny. It's educational. And you walk away feeling like happy and changed by Shakespeare in the same way that good Shakespeare should do. And then hopefully walk away feeling like maybe I could read some Shakespeare. Yeah. 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 You know, when you audition for the guys who originally wrote that, that they have you improv an entire Shakespeare monologue. Have you auditioned for them? I would never admit (laughs) such a thing. (laughs) We don't need to go into all the stories. So, all of, I gotta have I gotta hold some Something, things back. Okay, okay. For whenever we do other podcasts, it'll be like you know if I don't surprise you at least once in every one of these, this is not going to be any fun. Well, then we will we will hold that cliffhanger for another show as we're out of time for this one. Oh, oh. Well, cool cats and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Making it weird at the end. Uh, so everyone, this has been. Scene Partners. Partners. And that was Cody. And that was Chris. Chris.